Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. Yes. Episode four. Also in July. Also in July, that's right. <laughs> we got to catch up. We missed June, so we figure we'll do two in July. And so as not to disappoint our loyal following. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it only only gets more frequent from here. Our brews are becoming more, uh, more frequent. And uh, in line with that, it seems like our episodes are going to become more frequent as well. So the last episode was delayed a little bit for some audio issues. Um, those audio issues are past us. Uh, it will only only get better from here. So, thanks for sticking with us, and like I said, plenty more to come. Yeah, so we have something a little special this time around. Usually, we start out our first segment by talking about beers that we drank that you guys should check out, and we are still going to do that. However, last time we talked about a little bit of a mishap that we had with our Belgian recipe. Something about the sugar. Something about the sugar. Something about the sugar not being there. <laughs> um, we forgot to put it in the boil, and so we decided we're going to make one where we put it, we boil sugar water and put it in the primary fermenter of one, and of the other one, we just do whatever we had in the in the boil pot. And so right in front of us, we have them side by side, and we've tried the one with the sugar, and it turned out pretty much as we intended. Very good. And so we have the other one here that did not have the sugar that we're going to try live on air for the very first time and try to figure out what we have here. It's a great way to kick off a show. So how do you think we should do this? Do we want to uh, take a slug of the uh, of the correct or su- or quote unquote correct sugar version? Yes, let's do that. Okay, you go first. All right, thank you. All right. Now this this was uh, this was the corrected version where we added the uh, the uh, sugar from the boil right uh, right before we toss in the fermenter and. It's got the sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. It's you can taste the heavy grain bill with it. Yes. Yeah. So this one turned out to be about eight and a half percent because we added the sugar back in. So that's the heavy grain bill. Right. The body's there, and like you said, just a little bit of sweetness. Right. So yeah, right. that's what we were expecting. Yeah. So yeah, came together pretty much all right. All right. Then we got the other one. Okay. Which, while he's drinking that, I talked with the brewmaster down at Emmett's we, we, when we were there for one of our uh, one of our nights, and his theory of what we actually made was a Belgian single, because it's a little bit less, um, you know, not quite as strong, and a little bit less sweetness to it. Well, you know the gravity's going to be different, because there's going to be less sugars for the yeast to, to eat up. There's... That one I imagine is less gravity and it's very distinct less sweetness. Yeah, it is, but it's not necessarily bad either. So it is significantly less sweet. Um, 
but the you know at the same time the the heavy alcohol flavor that you have in the triple isn't quite there for that one so that kind of balances a little bit there a little bit yeah we just bottled this um this second beer just two days ago and it's uh when we we just poured it a second ago and what was very apparent right away was this is still carbonating so i think the flavor is going to evolve uh from this and uh most likely i kind of hope so because drinking those side by side it's really kind of night and day i have to admit it is uh i think that you you could have different um reasons to have each one but i think that both of them still turned out pretty well and for those curious the, the belgian single um alcohol by volume oh i'm sorry the i i misspoke earlier the alcohol by volume in the triple is uh closer to nine and a half percent and this one's closer to eight and a half percent that's wow okay there's only one percent difference there's a one percent difference between the two because it was a uh it was it was was 1083 and 1073 so there was a you know 10 point difference between the two that's surprising I would have figured there'd be more uh, more of a steep difference. That's that, that's good to know, though. Yeah. So good deal. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so let's dive right into the first segment, shall we? Yeah. First segment, we go past, present, future. As as from our previous shows, we are going to talk about three beers that we've had recently, good or bad, or some <laughs> stories that we have. Saran, bless you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and uh, and. Uh, yeah, I've got. We've got a couple of good ones to talk about. I have a couple of good ones. George does too. My partner here. I'll ask you to start us off. Okay. Uh, for my first one, um, we went over the weekend to uh, the Hans Brewfest up in Rockton, Illinois. This was a benefit for kind of a, a terrible reason that it had to go on that I'm not going to get into, but. Um, Needless to say, someone lost their life, and so this was a memorial to raise money for a scholarship in their name. So what they decided to do, uh, instead of doing a bake sale or anything like that, they threw a beer fest. And it was wildly successful. They had a number of different breweries there, and um, you know, silent auction and ban and everything. And, and from my understanding, they actually raised a good amount of money. So along with that, they had a, a number of breweries there that we've never tried before. One of them was the Generations Brewing Company. And they had a very interesting one called uh, Jelly Donut. <laughs> this was a <laughs> German Berliner Weiss infused with cherries and blueberries. So its alcohol uh, was only five, I mean, sorry, only 3.9% ABV, and its IBUs was five. So the hops was non-existent. non-existent. Yeah. yeah. So turns out what's used in it is Pilsner malt, wheat, flaked wheat, white wheat, and mild malt, um, which I'm guessing is just a, like a two-row kind of malt. Uh, they used German Pearl and German Hallartu and Hersebrücker. That's one I'm not familiar with. Oh, yeah, that's a new one. And then they used a German Ale yeast in the uh, to, to ferment it. So the other part that they did was they pureed heavy, and this is quoting them, heavy doses of tart cherries and blueberries and added it added it to it. So 
If you guys are a fan of fruit beers, it's a way to go. And it really did kind of resemble a jelly donut. Um, but you have to really be a fan of fruit beers to enjoy it. It was a unique flavor for sure. That's a, that's an interesting combo. You have low alcohol. You have low IBU. You have a lot of sweetness from a lot of different categories. It's a unique one for sure. Yeah. I was not a huge fan of it, but I can see that there's definitely a there's definitely tastes out there that would gravitate towards it. Yeah, I guess it's you know it's not a concept that comes up very often, but it's kind of a dessert beer. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so. think of that, but that's that's a great that's a great way to way to way to class it. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Good deal. I'm going to dive into my first one, and I'm going back to the same location that George just talked about, the Hans Brewfest, which we went to this past Saturday. I believe there was 20 different beer vendors at this event. I believe 20 is the correct number. I'm going to talk about the best beer that I had at this festival. It's from a brewery called Breckenridge Brewery out of Colorado. Breckenridge Brewery makes a, I believe this is a flagship beer of theirs, or at least one of theirs, Breckenridge Brewery Vanilla Porter. This, okay, <laughs> lost my train of thought right there. I apologize. Again, was the best beer of, of the 20 vendors. This was one of the best, uh, best bodied porters I've had in recent memory. It was, it was about the best class that I, that I've had of, of, uh, of a vanilla infused, uh, beer that I've had may, maybe ever. It, it was, it was just, it was full bodied without being overwhelming. The flavor was there without being overwhelming. It was just very drinkable. It still had all the, um, it had, had all the classifications of a porter. It just, it worked. I went back for seconds right away. Yeah, that's true. It you was, did. yeah, it was just just a great beer, just really really great beer. Among among twenty vendors, it really stood out. I believe this is available um, in a fa- in a pretty wide uh, number of places. It is distributed here in Illinois, Colorado, obviously as well. I believe several other states. It's 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 one to keep an eye out for. Breckenridge Brewery Vanilla Porter. Yeah, vanilla is one of those fickle mistress type things that you know you can either you can go overboard with it very quickly. Yeah, and they did balance true. it very well. Yeah. So, what's yeah. number two for you? Number two for me is uh, more local beer from the Lena Brewing Company out in Lena, Illinois, and um, they made a caramel pecan coffee stout. I'm really glad this one is coming up. That was that was that was a standout beer there too. It was. It, it was it was from a town that I've never heard of, being a lifelong uh, Illinois resident, and it was a it was a beer combination that I've never heard all encompassed in one beer. And I'll, I'll say it, it worked. Yeah, it really did. If if you've ever gone from Chicago, because you know we're Chicagoland's foremost beer podcast, so if you've ever gone from Chicagoland through to Galena or Davenport, you've driven through this town and never knew it. So that's where that's that's where Lena is. It's, you know, central Illinois, but you drive right through it. It's kind of, you know, your typical one-horse town. But this brewery um, made a really good stout. It's a 5%, 47 IBU, uh, caramel pecan stout. Um, they made, they got the caramel flavor from caramel coffee beans. 
So it's caramel infused coffee beans, and they add pecan flavor to that as well. And like Jason said, it was very balanced. It was, um, you know, the flavor was there, but it was not terribly overwhelming. And the, um, the coffee aspects of it really stood out. And sometimes that can also be overwhelming, but and not in this case. It was just, it, it really stood out. And that's not um, something you see very often. Yeah, yeah that, was, that, that was a stand-up beer there as well. I'm, I'm glad, that, glad that it came up in this show. Second beer of mine. I'm going to talk about a brewery that I've not uh, have not talked about on the show yet, and it's one one worth mentioning. It's it, it's one that's that's gaining a uh, it's gaining a growing presence here in the uh, Chicagoland area. The brewery is called 350 Brewing in Tinley Park, Illinois. I've been to this brewery now twice. They have a rapidly changing uh, menu. They've got a bunch of different styles, and they do a lot of them very well. It's some signature. Uh, uh, brews they have regularly, uh, and then uh, some new things they're trying out. They're good guys. They're good beers. It's just a good environment overall. I got to tell us a, uh, a story about this uh, brewery that I didn't know until this past uh, time when I went out there because I asked the question, "Where does the name 350 Brewery come from?" And it turns out that the two founders of the brewery have a connection out uh, out in DeKalb, Illinois, at Northern Illinois University, which Anybody who knows me knows that Northern Illinois University has a special place in my heart as I was a regular in, in uh, the city of DeKalb for upwards of 10 years for, for various things. So that was that was very cool to learn while I was out there. Anyway, on that same trip, I had a beer that sparked my, my brain very quickly as it's been a very common topic of conversation between me and George here is the concept of using blueberries <laughs> in either a beer or or any kind of drink really because I am very much a lover of blueberries and there's a there's a bowl of blueberries right here on the on the podcast table that we're that we're both enjoying here but I was thrilled to see at this visit at 350 that they had made a blueberry infused porter which I immediately was very excited about. And I said, let me, let me try that, Br- bring it over here. So uh, I've got some background on, on this beer. This is a unique uh, blend. Um, if you go to 350 Brewing's website, I don't have the URL offhand, but if you go on their website, they do have their styles of beer on the site and they have the ingredients broken out. This beer has six different malts, only one hop and does have an infusion of blueberries. So that's where so that's where the uh, the the flavor um, flavor kind of generates from that infusion of of regular blueberries. For the amount of malt um, that makes up this beer, this beer I remember being surprisingly thin bodied, but I imagine it probably would have to in order to kind of absorb that blueberry flavor that it had to. Did it? get the blueberry flavor yes it did the the blueberry flavor was definitely there um it was flavorful it was good it wasn't as much of a porter as i would picture a porter to be which i i think a few people may be slightly maybe put off by but to me i mean they made a blueberry beer and got the flavor to go. So to me, that's a, that's a, that's a success right there. So I'll I'll give them points for that. It was a good one. All right. 
So my last one, and, and you know, listeners to the show know that I'm not a big fan of pointing out nationwide breweries, but this is one that's kind of stood out for me recently that I think deserves some attention, is the uh, Stone Brewing Company out of, I believe, San Diego. You can find this just about anywhere. It's called Stone IPA. It is their flagship. It is what they do. And not surprisingly, it is an India Pale Ale. And alcohol percentage is 6.9%. IBUs, 77. So you'll have this um, be a little bit more hoppy than some people like. Um, However, they do a really good job of balancing it. Aroma, you get lemon rind. You get pine, almost pine-type aroma from it. And you do get kind of a somewhat fruity aroma, reminiscent of, and it's going to sound a little strange, but Fruit Loops. You know, you get a little bit of a, a fruity aroma from it. I, uh, admit, but when, I don't think I've ever had a beer and had the image <laughs> of Fruit Loops come up. That's that's an interesting maybe. one. <laughs> and then once you taste it, though, you get a lot of that citrusy hop flavor and, you know, the malt kind of comes in to, to balance it out. So... They do a really good job of making an IPA that's not, you know, in-your-face hops. And so uh, it's, it's one that I would recommend, and you can find, like I said, just, you know, all, pretty much, I think, all 50 states in the Union. All, all 50? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's a high number, whatever it is. Okay. I know Stone Brewery does a lot of things. Yeah. A lot oh, of things. yeah. No, they do a ridiculous amount of beers, but um, and, and a lot of them are worth checking out, but... Stone IPA is one of their is the pretty much their flagship. So, yeah, nice. I'm not sure if I've had that one. Um, if I did, I didn't know about it. Um, but uh, yeah, good enough. I, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. So now he cut had, that out. <laughs> so now Jason's telling me that he has a rock star beer for his third and final one. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. Oh, I'm ending strong here. <laughs> ending strong. Okay. Um, it's funny you should end on a uh, on a big brewery beer for your third one. And I'm going with a big brewery uh, on my third one as well. And uh, we're going to veer away from, uh, from beer for one second, and we're going to talk sports. We, we, we don't do that on this show. We, we do now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anybody who knows me, as George does, knows that there is uh, there is one sport uh, team in all of sports that has by far the most meaning to me, and that is the Chicago Blackhawks. No. Oh, close. The, the Cubs. Oh, 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 we may have to rethink doing this show if we're talking about the Cubs right now. You open the door. You can't expect uh, someone to not walk through. Point well taken. I'm point. assuming you're talking about the Sox. Good, I am sir. absolutely. Yes, there's one team. There's one team in sports that has the has by far the most meaning to me, and that is the Chicago White Sox. I am a lifelong fan. They're by far my favorite team in all sports. I love the White Sox. Um, but not to give too wide of plug to my favorite team, but I wanted to mention this. If you're in the Chicagoland area and you need any more reason to visit Sox Park, I have one for you. Not only do we have a team that's pulling things around and is finally starting to win some games and showing, showing signs of life, but (laughs) U.S. Cellular Field has, um, 
has has introduced a healthy variety of craft beers. From uh, this, at least uh, on the website, you can you can see, you can see it uh, in more detail. But they have, I believe, more than a dozen different uh, different craft beer uh, breweries that uh, that supply beers to U.S. Cellular Field for uh, for sale to the public. And while I'm not going to go through each one, I'm going to make mention of one of the beers that um, that has a frequent appearance at the uh, park, and I had just recently, and was uh, was quite enjoyable. And it's from a it's from a familiar brewer, uh, brewery. Here in the Midwest, the brewery is Leinenkugels, and Leinenkugel makes a beer called Comiskey Ale, (laughs) which is a amber slash red ale. Um, It's to me, it's it's a very it's a simple beer, um, but to me, it's a very it's a big step up from what you'd uh, expect out of a tap at a ballpark, which would be, you know, your 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 big brewery light beers. Um, this has got the uh, got the red color to it. It's got a it's got a fuller body, and not any heaviness at all. It's it's really it's really a solid beer just just for a for a day at the ballpark. I I ended up having a couple. It was it was the perfect beer for the day and for obviously my favorite uh, my favorite team. So became uh, became very enjoyable. So I'll I'll put a plug out there for uh, Line and Kugel's Comiskey Yale. So if you need another reason to visit uh, Sox Ballpark. There you go. That's that's one for you. So are they going to change the name to U.S. Cellular Ale at some point? <laughs> I imagine if you if U.S. Cellular wants to uh, put out a, a sponsorship deal for that beer, I'm sure there's a price tag for it. I'm sure. I, I'm not one to broker that sale, so I'll I'll leave that one alone. But Line and Kugel's, you, you did you did good on that one. So cheers to you for that. So that is our three beers. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back uh, with and uh, talk about the brew that we just made this past weekend, which is a uh, classic Pilsner. And I'll uh, tease it a little bit. This is by far the simplest all-grain recipe that we've, uh, that we've done so far. And uh, we're intrigued by the results uh, so far. So stay with us. Welcome back to a nice place to brew. I say this right now as George is pouring me a glass of our uh, apple ap- amber apple amber ale. Yeah, save the clock tower. Save the clock tower. I tell you, this beer just keeps getting better, and there's a lot of it still. There so. is. A lot of it. <laughs> this was our first uh, ten gallon batch, as you guys know, and I don't think we were quite prepared for how much it would make in the in the in terms of overall supply i think you're right yeah considering we've done uh three different 10 gallons since, since then since yeah. bottling this so yeah yeah our our need for glass has increased very quickly and uh and uh and you guys are going to be privy to probably next episode a quick primer on kegging because we have to start doing that now you know what that's a you know and that's a perfect segue to the next show i mean that's totally appropriate to be talking about for uh for the next show for uh, for the segment three yeah okay we're, we're setting it now tune into the next episode where we're going to talk about kegging <laughs> and uh Basically, everything that we're going to know about kegging, we will learn between recording this show and recording the next show. <laughs> Which so. hopefully will be a lot. <laughs> it will be, for sure. 
No, we've we've got uh, we've got great resources to uh, to learn about this, and we've got a ten gallon that we're doing this weekend. So uh, so we've got the perfect framework to uh, to gain that knowledge very quickly. So thank you for staying with us, and uh, we're going to segue right into episode two. We're going to talk about our uh, our brew from this past weekend. We brewed a classic pilsner. Yes, this is a first for us. Um, we decided to go kind of uh, old school. For this one, which I uh, I, I say uh, I say because as I had mentioned earlier, this is the simplest recipe that we've uh, that we've ever put together. It was a ten gallon batch. George, I'll, I'll allow you to go go through the uh, ingredients and uh, and talk about just kind of what in, what influenced the uh, decision to go with each one. But I will I will set the stage with this. This is a one grain batch. This is a one hop batch, and this is a one yeast batch. It's about as basic of a recipe as a beer maker can get using an all-grain recipe. Okay, yeah, that's a perfect segue because there's a organization called the BJCP, and I can't for the life of me remember what that stands for, but what they do is they come up with brewing guidelines. And so our goal for this one was come up with the quintessential Pilsner that fits those guidelines to a T. Uh, if anybody is uh, curious about the BJCP guidelines, you can download apps to your uh, iPhone or Android devices that will uh, give you ideas of what the appearance, aroma, mouthfeel, flavor, impression, all that stuff should look like, as well as down to what the original gravity, uh, final gravity, IBU, color and alcohol content should be for those different style types. I'm looking at this just from across the table and I'm really impressed. (laughs) So what we did was we took those types and tried to make the quintessential Pilsner, which which, not surprisingly, Pilsner is a very, I don't want to call it basic, but it is a clean type of beer. So it didn't take a whole lot to come up with you know, what you would consider to be the classic Pilsner. There's a grain called Pilsen, which is made for it. It's absolutely 100% a Pilsner grain. So that's what we used. We used 100% Pilsen grains in this. So Pilsner versus Hellas is a little bit more hoppy. So what we did was we added two ounces of Centennial hops to it to give it a little bit more hop character. This brings it up to about 26 IBUs because we added them about halfway through the boil. So it brings it up to about 26 IBUs, gives a little bit of hop character without being overwhelming, and that's it. That was all for the boil. So we did that. We obviously added our, our friend Whirlflock, and then after we were done and cooled it off and put it in the tanks, we used Y-Yeast 1056, which is an American ale yeast, Pilsner is traditionally a lagered beer. However, there are ways you can make it with ale yeast so you don't have to lager it, and so that's what we chose to do for this one. I'll uh, throw in the point that uh, into the fermenter, we also went with the uh, two drops of the olive oil, which, as we mentioned on the last show, was kind of an accelerant for the yeast in the fermentation. Yes. And uh, in, seeing the, uh, in seeing the fermenters just uh, about an hour or so ago, it looks like it did its thing once again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the the main uh, problem that we had in this uh, in this um, 
brew process. And this was kind of a, uh, a new, I won't say a new one for us, but uh, one we don't enc encounter very often. We had some challenges in the mash stage as far as maintaining and creating uh, appropriate temperatures. Right. And just to kind of set the stage on this, we have three different instruments uh, between our Brew or our uh, our heating and brew kettle, and our mash tun, which uh, which measure temperature. We seem to be getting very different responses from all three of those, which created some havoc early on in the brew process this weekend. Yeah, so mashing usually happens as we talked about last time between about 148, 149 degrees, and 158, 160 degrees. Uh, depending on the type of body we wanted. So for a Pilsner, you're looking for an extremely light body. So we were looking for a very low temperature of 149 degrees. When we put it in, we found out we were a little closer to 140. Um, so at that temperature, not a whole lot's happening. So we kind of... Let's define that a little further, just, okay. just for the listeners. Um, you're correct that that, that, um, that temperature range is is a pretty fixed principle throughout brewing you have to on the low end you've got 148 on the high end you've got 160 degrees that's a 12 degree span mm -hmm. where everything is happening now even on the lower and higher ends of that you still have some very hot water that's still sitting within the grains it, sure. it makes at least some fundamental sense to me that there's at least some sugar extraction that's happening Absolutely. Outside of those ranges, is it, would that be correct to say? It would be. So, it, yes. So, in in even with our temperature being close to 140 degrees when in our initial mash, we we did have some reaction and we did create some of those sugars. What you what you'll see as a difference in there though is what the types of sugar chains that are created. So, in lower temperatures, you're gonna have much more short chain sugars created. So what that can do is create sugars that are not as fermentable. Long-chain sugars are more fermentable. Um, so you'll have what we might end up with in this, honestly, is a little bit sweeter than we're expecting in a Pilsner. So what we did to compensate for that was we shortened our mash time, and we added in a step infusion to bring it up to temperature, to bring it up to about 149 degrees. And then we mashed, we continued the mash on that to for about 15 minutes to create the chain sugars that we're looking for in the at, at the right temperature and added them to the brew pot before we did the sparge. Uh, the sparge um, traditionally used to stop the chain sugar reactions to get flush out anything that's left in there and to get it into the boil pot before you start boiling so so yeah so it was a little bit of a challenge um a little bit of a change from what we thought we were going to do for this and it kind of reinforced the fact that we need to make sure we're right with our calculations and make sure we're right with our temperatures before we before we add it to the mash tun I think if the net effect of, of all this is, is that we extracted more sugars and we have a sweeter Pilsner, mm -hmm. I think uh, I think it's reminiscent of the uh, last issue that we had with the uh, with the triple. And um, the result that we had with that was 
was a sweeter beer in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think a sweeter Pilsner sounds to me like it'll be a mistake in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think our I think our net product is going to be better because of it. It could be. Uh, it certainly could be. So, um, so at the end of the day, though, according to the numbers, we did we did okay. We our original gravity target for this was ten forty nine, and we ended up with about ten fifty one when we did our original gravity measurement. So, the alcohol content is, should be there. So we'll yeah we hit our original gravity right on right. So it is all now going to depend on what we're able to ferment down to right. Which if the reaction in the fermenters right now is any indication, we should be able to hit the ten ten that we're expecting on the final gravity, which will give us an ABV of was it four. Uh, Five point two percent. Oh, five point two. Yes. Okay, that's that's higher than I thought it would be. Well, that's even better. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. And we'll have uh, we'll have ten uh, ten gallons of this. Yeah. So well supplied for a long time. Yeah, we'll be good. So, so like I said, it's a Pilsner. It's a very much of a light drinking summer beer. Um, this is one that if you guys want to take the recipe and work with it, you can add. All kinds of stuff to it. It's a good light palate. You can add fruit to it. You can add citrus to it. You can add any kind of um, nutty type notes to it that you want and things like that. So, yeah, we'll make sure that. And just to give you a reference point, the SRM, which is the color, on this one was three point one. On our pills, on our sorry, on our triple, it was actually five point five. So that also is a little bit lighter of a beer. If you, however, you compare that to one that we have coming up, which is our pumpkin pie stout, it's thirty-five point five. <laughs> so the numbers increase pretty dramatically when you start getting into the darker beers. So our the the pilsner being at three point three, super low on the spectrum, super light, super clear beer. It's it's one. It's a classic beer for sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, a pilsner is about as about as classic as a of a beer as as you come across. I think it's worth mentioning too that the challenge with making um, this beer as as a home brewer or even a brewer on a on a on a small scale is it's a beer that will highlight your imperfections. Oh, it's a white car. That's a gr- wow. Okay, I, I've not heard that comparison. I'd, I'd love to hear more. That's that, that. But to me, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, you get a white car. It shows every speck of dust, and you know, it shows. You know, if you get it dirty at all, you're going to see it on the car. And so, a pilsner is the exact same way. It, you know, any problems that we had in the brewing or in the fermenting or anything like that is going to show up in the either in the flavor or the aroma or the. The color and it's going to be obvious. Let's put that side by side with, say, an IPA. Now, an IPA has a very heavy grain bill. It's a high gravity beer and it's very heavily hopped. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot going on with that. With all those factors, it's going to be very much easier to cover up your imperfections because you've got so much going on. Yeah, it's a little bit more forgiving in that. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, this uh, this. Was our first attempt at a solid pilsner. If we nailed it, we're going to try to modify it, add to it, see what we can do to kind of make it our own. Uh, If we didn't, we're going to try again. I had that thought going through this because now we have a lot of 
Pilsner on our hands. Yes. Which we're not quite, I mean, Pilsner's not exactly a go-to drink drinking beer for us. So that, that was a thought I had is I imagine we'll go back to this and put our own flavors to it. Yeah. Let's te- are you comfortable teasing that a little bit? What do you think uh, what do you think we could add to this that would kind of make it uh, a nice place to brew specific? Okay, so <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but citrus. Okay? I I am not a fan of citrus in beers. I I, I don't I don't I, this is this is an ideal style for that though. I think it would it take is. it would take very well. I think maybe some lime. Okay. Okay. Uh, or you know maybe a combination of lime and lemon. Okay. Um, you know I don't want to create essentially beer Seven Up, but at the same time I think some combination of lime and lemon might be a good good for that. Lime and lemon. That's yeah. a good call. Huh. We'll have to play around with the name with that. Yeah, <laughs> or between uh, between breaks here. <laughs> I like that, and that's just the beginning. We yeah, could, we could do we could do a whole lot with that. We can do coriander. We can do orange. Can we do blueberries? We, we might be able to do oh, blueberries. Yeah. Right, a lot of blueberries, right. you know. So let's get a couple pounds of I know, blueberries. I know, I know, I know a couple places we can make that happen. Here, okay, all so. right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I'm a fan. I do love the blueberries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure do. <laughs> That's our classic Pilsner. Yeah. We will uh, see within probably two or three weeks how it ferments and bottles out, and uh, we'll do a taste test, and uh, we will have a lot of Pilsner for quite some time. Yeah, and I will make sure that on uh, attached to this episode, you guys can have the download links for uh the the Play Store and for Android, I mean, sorry, that is Android, for iTunes, so you can download the BJCP guidelines if you want to take a look at those. Um, there's about 27, I want to say, and I think this year or next year they're looking to uh, make some alterations and do some potential expansion to add to them, make it more specific. Um, and cause once you get into fruit beer, like there's a whole category, it says fruit beer and essentially it's whatever you make it, you know? So there's some really genetic, generic categories that they're looking to tighten up. And, and I think it's a good reference for any brewer to have, uh, as you try to get away from the kits, you try to get a little bit more experimental, but you want to stay a little bit within the guidelines. Absolutely. This is something you should reference. Let's let's pull up that uh, reference guide and let's let's direct uh, to that URL in the in the uh, third segment. I, th- I think that's a that's a perfect point to bring up, and I and I'd love to have that point out there on the show just so so everybody can go to. Um, there is a lot on there, and yeah, let's let's highlight that. Okay, no yeah. problem. So we are uh, we're gonna uh, take a quick break. We're gonna dive back in uh, for. Uh, Segment uh, number three, we'll, uh, we've gone th- uh, from the past to the present, and we're going to go to the future. We're going to talk about a lesson for the week. We are going to talk about secondary fermentation. We're going to talk about um, the importance of it, the, um, the advantages of it, and I'm actually going to uh, talk about uh, some of the arguments uh, of why some, brewery, uh, some brewers uh, tend, to, uh, uh, tend to veer away from it. Uh, there's there's a lot on this topic and, and a lot of good knowledge that uh, that um, that we're gonna put out to you guys. So uh, stick with us, and uh, we'll see you here in a minute. 
Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. This is segment number three. You know what I just thought of? And I, I almost feel bad that it just took me until now just to think of this. I have never given a plug to the artist who records our intro and our uh, in our uh, uh, middle, uh, middle intermission. pieces. Intermission. Our intermission pieces. Our intermission Yeah, pieces. exactly. Yes. You know, honestly, I was thinking the same thing. I was, I was like... I was going to say thank, special thanks to, and then I didn't know who it was. <laughs> let me let me complete that for you. Special thanks to my good friend from Yorkville, Illinois, Tim McKeever. And I'll send a, I'll send a link out to his uh, current project. He's got a solid, solid music, uh, musical project out there right now. You can find him on SoundCloud or Facebook under the, uh, under the name The Firewalkers. They have several songs out there. It's really solid stuff. Check it out. The Firewalkers, either on Facebook or on SoundCloud, where they've got several tracks out there. Tim, again, thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have you on at some point, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you then. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about our lesson. Let's talk about uh, secondary fermentation. Yeah, it's one thing that has worked with us really well um so apparently there's a school of thought that says it's not necessary there is we will uh we'll talk about that uh, later in the segment let's uh let's give a definition to exactly what secondary fermentation is and um i will start off and you can uh you can fill in uh fill in the blank and we'll, we'll see if i can uh, describe this appropriately so I, i'll back up one step and talk about uh primary fermentation which is where you uh, load your beer into a carboy, you add yeast, you seal it off so that it's uh, so that the uh, container is airtight, and that yeast then eats away at all the uh, all the dense sugars that have uh, that have built up in the liquid that you've made throughout the brewing process. Once that's complete, where the secondary fits in is you then unload the beer from that container that it's in, remove the beer from the yeast that's that it's sitting in currently, and you move it into its own new airtight container where it basically settles out and possibly completes a small degree of fermentation with the yeast that's left over then from the move from the primary to the secondary. Yeah, in the move from the primary to the secondary, you're going to introduce a little bit of oxygen. There's going to be a little bit of suspended yeast, and so they're going to be reactivated, and they're going to start fermenting a little bit more. You know, you're not talking about, like, going from 1020 to 1010 or anything, but you could see going from 1012 to 1010, you know, and you could see a little bit of change in there. So let's talk about the primary reasons for doing this. Now, now that we have the background of exactly how the how the secondary process fits into the overall brewing uh, brewing picture, why do it? Yeah. Oh, so why do it? Um, there's a lot of reasons. One, it does help clarify the beer. So when you're done with the primary, there's a lot of suspended yeast in there. And so if you don't do secondary, you're going to end up with beer that is hazy or that in the in the bottle could end up over priming because there's too much yeast inside of it. So when when we move it over to the secondary, 
we clear that out and we allow the yeast that's suspended inside the liquid to settle out to the bottom before we put it into the bottling bucket to add the priming sugar or before we put it into a keg to 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 carbonize it that's the wrong word to add the carbonation car- car- carbonate <laughs> carbonate yes thank you <laughs> so we before we before we add you know whatever we're going to do to carbonate the beer we want to make sure that I'll, as much of those yeasts as we can get settled out of there there's a couple ways you can do that you can either put it through micrometer sized filters which you can which a lot of professional brewers do or if you're on the scale that we're on right now you just do secondary and you allow it to settle out naturally and it gets most if not all of the yeast the suspended yeast and suspended proteins out in the in that process makes perfect sense um going to I guess the areas of hesitation around this process and the uh, the, the the reasons that George just uh, had just mentioned are very valid. Um, it is very important that a beer settle out before you carbonate and then and then bottle. And as we've seen, one of the challenges that we've had with our beers, um, we believe we've had we've found the solution, but one of the uh, problems that we had for for quite some time was lack of clarity in our beers. And the secondary fermentation is a very key point in creating a solution for that. Because if we didn't ha- put that time in to allow the beer to settle out, the problem's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Right. We're going to have we're going to have more cloudiness. We're going to have more sediment, and it's none of that's going to have any place to go. Right. Is is what it kind of comes out to. So. As George had alluded to earlier, there is a school of thought against secondary fermentation for at least a number of different styles of beer, and those styles of beer mainly being ales. Now, ale is a is a widely encompassing term. Many beers fall into the ale category. That's true. And not to argue in this direction, but I'll at least put out what what the school of thought is. Um, and. I'll at least say one point that I think that I think is worth saying. After a beer is done with its primary fermentation, that liquid is very vulnerable. It's 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 very it's it's in a sensitive state because all the sugars have been eaten away at it. Um, it's it's now in its own airtight container. It's been still to move the liquid around or to I mean to move the liquid away from the container or even to shake the um, uh, shake the carboy around would have chemical implications with the beer okay so in in that point I that makes sense to me that does yeah but the flip side to that is if you're gonna do that if you're not gonna do a secondary have a way to filter your beer okay so that's what we don't have right now we don't have those tiny tiny little look we have a funnel with a filter on it but it's not going to catch the the yeast particles and things like that right so we don't have a way right now to clarify our beer without doing a secondary right so yes on a larger scale on a professional or, or on a more developed scale then absolutely i i would agree with that but i would think on where we are right now we absolutely need to do a secondary and as as many 
as many homebrewers out there are in similar places that we are, that that same rule applies. Yeah. You know, the, the advantages pretty much far outweigh the disadvantages to doing secondary fermentation. Yeah. So we're missing actually a big piece into why you might do a secondary fermentation. Okay. And that is adding flavors. Ha, ha, ha. Yes. So in, in the last segment, we were talking about adding blueberries or citrus or anything like that to our Pilsner. Or um, last time we talked about racking our stout onto a, a bunch of bourbon wood chips. And we're doing all of that in the secondary. So the re- a good reason to do that is because you don't want to do that in the primary fermentation. There's too much going on already. There's, there's fermentation of, the, of all the sugars. There's wild changes in the gravity of the beer. And if you've ever seen a primary fermentation, it's dramatic. It's you know, it's ro- it's literally roiling inside the carboy. Absolutely. So we have blow off tubes on the top of it for a reason because that fermentation can be so intense that it it's blowing outside the container. Right. Exactly. So don't try to add any flavors or anything in the primary. I think that's that's a rule of thumb that's been you know passed down to us, and I think it's one definitely to live by. Add flavors in your secondary. So we did our apple amber ale. So what we did is we put everything into the primary. We allowed it to ferment out. And then we moved it over to the secondary and racked it on top of a bunch of, I think about 10 pounds of apples. Yep, 10 pounds. And allowed that apple flavor to infuse inside the beer. We're doing the same thing with the wood chips right now. Racked it on top of the wood chips and... The term racking, if I haven't mentioned it before, is just moving the beer. Racking is moving from primary to secondary, or sometimes even secondary to bottling. It's it's moving the beer to the next vessel. Right. So we've racked the, the, the stout on top of the bourbon chips to allow the bourbon chips to infuse that flavor in there. So that is just a phenomenal reason to do any kind of secondary that you might want to do one point to add in 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 addition to that is um a term that we've talked about on previous episodes dry hopping yes which absolutely which also happens within within the secondary uh, fermentation and i think it's important to draw a distinction right now of two different areas where this can have an impact and you may be able to fill in the blanks a little bit easier than I can, but there's an area with the secondary that will impact pretty much aroma only. And then you right. have areas that is going to add flavor, such as the wood chips that we're doing right now or the uh, apples that we infused with, uh, with the amber ale that we, have, that we have right here. So big picture, through secondary, we can impact our flavor and our aroma. Yes, yeah, anything you add into the secondary is primarily going to affect aroma. Okay. If you add pureed fruit or even solid fruit or anything like that, you you are going to affect the flavor as well. But with hops especially, if you add hops to the secondary and it's post-boil, post-fermentation, your target is aroma, and it's a perfectly valid one. When we did our IPA, 
we did a slightly lower IBU IPA than would be normal. Right. But to give people the impression of a hoppier IPA, we dry hopped with an additional hop. I believe that was Cascade. I think so, yeah. And to add that aroma in there so people, when when they drank the IPA, still got the full impression of a 80 or 75 IBU IPA. And the flavor impact was obviously much less intense. Yes. Yeah, much less intense. And that, to me, has been a source of pride throughout like drinking that beer. Yeah. Was that we had... We had the aroma of an IPA that had the strength and the bitterness of the IPA, but didn't have that overwhelming bitter flavor. Which, to, I mean, unfortunately, all that all that all that beer is now gone. We've yeah. we've gone th- we've gone through the uh, through the uh, last of that brew. But that oh, that was such a fantastic first it, IPA that we made. It was a good first effort, and and I think we're gonna we're definitely gonna do it again. We've talked about smoking it, which after we do that. We'll tell you guys about that. Smoked IPA. Just wrap, Smoked IPA. Wrap, wrap your brains around that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, it, it, we had a lot of people that said that even though they don't normally like IPAs, they thought the balance was good, and but they still felt they were drinking an IPA. Right. And so, I mean, this isn't just to pat ourselves on the back on how great we are at making IPAs, but, you know, it's just to highlight the importance that dry hopping can have to your beer. So there was one that I encountered. It's a commercial beer called uh, Saltucket Starburst. <laughs> As in, as in Starburst candy. As in, as in the candy, yeah. Now it didn't quite taste like Starburst. It, it didn't at all. Um, That'd be quite an accomplishment. It would if- be. But what they did was they dry hopped with huge amounts of Amarilla and Moscatel Muscaca. I'll, I'll put this recipe up on online as best I know it, and. Um, and and they were uh, that they, they they used regular hops in 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 the boils Simcoe and Citra and then they dry hopped with a huge amount of hops, and so what you got was this beer that was just super aroma like the the nose of this was, um, full bodied is okay. the best way I can think to put okay. it. Okay, gotcha. And so when you drank it, you had that all in your sinuses and, and you had that in your palate already. So that just added to the flavor that you got when you actually drank the beer. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a really good beer. And unique. Yes, very unique. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. So uh, don't, don't underestimate the importance of dry hopping, of adding the aroma even though it's not even going to add anything to the flavor right don't underestimate the importance of what a beer smells like when you drink it it's it's i mean it's a big part of the experience yeah i mean i mean you're olfactory that's a okay I, I was I was going for something else, but I like that your your whole factory is at work when you're when you're about to take your first uh, first sip of first. Si- <laughs> oh, uh, how many of these have I had? <laughs> well, you know, we didn't take into account the fact that it is a nine percent beer when we started drinking it. But wait, what? 
The the well the Belgian. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no, we did not take that into account. Anyway, okay. Your your whole system is is processing when you take your yes. first sip sip of beer. And and your uh and your sense of smell is a big part of that. Yes. It's it's a it's a significant, significant part of the overall experience. It's the same thing like when you go out to a good restaurant and you get Yes, absolutely. A good steak. Yes. You want that aroma to, to hit you first. Exactly. You know, and it's the same with beer. It is. That's a, and that's, that's a perfect comparison to make as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one other point about uh, secondary that I think is worth mentioning. And making reference right back to the equipment that we have. Our primary ferment, fermenter has a capacity of seven gallons. Our primary secondary has a capacity of six gallons. Yes. It is recommended that a secondary fermenter be smaller than a primary fermenter. Yeah. And I believe that the reason for that for the majority is less oxygen exposure. Yes. To your knowledge, is there other factors that play into that 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 uh, that make that um, make that important? Why a secondary no. would be smaller? No, that that is the primary reason is you want to limit the amount of oxygen exposure. You're already between the transfer between the primary and the secondary, you're going to get a decent amount of oxygen exposure. So you want to try to make sure that the secondary has as little amount of headspace. Or open space as as possible to limit the amount of additional oxygen contamination as you'll have in there. It's important to illustrate that as well. When oxygen has more exposure within the beer, you're flattening the beer. You you are, and you're you're also kind of oxidizing it, which can change the characteristics of it. Okay. Yes. So, truly a Yeast production scenario is mostly anaerobic, meaning without oxygen. So Ana- you, anaerobic. Anaerobic, yes. So when you're in the primary, it eats up the oxygen very quickly. Okay. And what you're getting in your blow off or in your um, <laughs> the airlock. Airlock. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, is CO two escaping? Yes. So. The it's mostly an anaerobic type of situation, so you want to make sure that when you're going into your secondary, you're preserving that as much as possible. Yes. Any other uh, any other last minute uh, comments as to why the the importance and I'm of I'm of that school of thought too. It's yeah. sec- secondary is not one to be missed until you can get into now. We've done beers before when we first started where we just did a primary right. And they're perfectly fine. They're, they're drinkable, and 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 you may not notice a huge flavor difference. Right. But when you start doing secondary, you're going to notice a clarity difference. You're gonna you're gonna be happier with how your beer looks, with how um, grainy it is, and things like that. And so you're just it. The I would recommend unless you have a, a high tech filtering system that. Move your beer from the primary to the secondary. Allow it to sit for at least a week or two, unless you're doing something like racking on top of bourbon chips or anything like that, where 
you may need a month. Yeah. And allow it to sit out and settle out. Or even more than a month, which even, is what we're looking at right now. Exactly, yes. Allow it to sit in the secondary for a while, and you'll be amazed at the difference it makes in your beer. For sure. That's a perfect, perfect uh, note to close out on. Yep. I am looking at our calendar as, as to what we've got going on in the next month, and it's quite substantial. Uh, the end of this week, we will be making a full batch of our signature triple recipe done correctly with the candy sugar. We will be judged on a uh, submitted uh, Belgian that we submitted as part of a competition. We are going to learn all about kegging, and we'll be submitting uh, kegs of our uh, Belgian to our uh, to a uh, Midwest Brewers uh, event uh, happening here in Chicagoland in August. And we are going to be making a pumpkin pie stout, which uh, which is my. Uh, my kind of kickoff is is to uh, recipe creation. Yeah, this is the this is the one that is entirely the brainchild of Jason. So, <laughs> and it's so appropriate uh, that it uh, be a pumpkin pie because I uh, I am uh, quite a fan of the fall season and fall flavors that come around with uh, come around with that. So this was uh, th- this was kind of an ideal uh, recipe for me to uh, to. Uh, give a first uh first shot to so uh, a lot going on in the next month and uh, we can't wait to uh record uh record more for you guys and talk to you more about uh all the uh, about how the how all these uh pieces kind of come out for us yeah and we're gonna put it up on our website and up on the uh you know facebook instagram twitters things like that um where you guys can see us at the midwest um what is that? Mid- Mid- Midwest Brewers Fest. Midwest it? Brewers Fest. So if you guys are in the Chicagoland area, able to come out and see us, we'll be at the Joliet Brewers Guild table with our Belgian triple that you can try out. So I'm going to give out as much info as I have on this right now. It's, it happens uh, Saturday, August 22nd. It's in Willow Springs, Illinois. I don't have the specific times and I don't have the specific location. Um, but uh, we'll we'll put out on our, on our website at least a URL where we, where we can put out that uh, that information. But yes, as George has said, we'll be at the Juliet Brewers Brewers Guild uh, tent. We will have two kegs worth of our uh, of our Belgian, and uh, we would be thrilled thrilled to uh, have a couple listeners uh, come out, hang out with us, say hi, and uh, and uh, enjoy the day. Absolutely, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's going to be a great time. This is. Uh, it's it's been a great couple of months. I, I I can't tell you how excited I am about the coming months, though. Just, yeah, I mean, just the upcoming projects and the uh, and the uh, lessons well, we're going to be learning. I'm so excited about it. I can't even tell you. We alluded to a few of them, but we have the smoked IPA coming up. We, we have do. the pumpkin pie stout. Yep. We have. Um, let's see. We had uh, we had a porter that we were going to do. Yes. And, and a few others. So, I mean. And we need to recreate the IPA. And that, we need to recreate that's the it, That's IPA. in there too. Yeah. So this, this year is all about experimentation. It's all about making sure that we can find the recipes that we like, that we think that you guys will like as well. So, you know, stay tuned and we'll continue to put recipes up on the website. We'll continue to put information up there of commercial beers that you can try out. Um and we're so, going to bring more shows to you, too. 
we're going to bring more shows to you too. Do you want to run through the social media real quick? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Check us out on Facebook. Um, It's uh, at uh, A Nice Place uh, to Brew. That's a podcast page. Take a look uh, look out for that. Take a look at us on Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. Check us out on Twitter at Nice Place to Brew. That's our Twitter handle. And check out, of course, our website, which is www.aniceplacetobrew.com. George has done phenomenal work on that. Does the upkeep on it? It's a fantastic website. Definitely uh, take a look at it, and uh, and of course our social so, social media links as we keep updated very often. And until next time, as uh, as our sign off is every time, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. So, cheers. cheers.